This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo-Daily, MEP Mick Wallace, rebel, renegade and Eurosceptic. From builder to bar owner to bills and bankruptcy, independent for change MEP Mick Wallace is no stranger to controversy. Uh, we're joined now by the late developer um, Mick Wallace, who has uh, salted, away, salted away fortunes, I think, in the Cayman Islands, uh, and who's expected <laughs> to continue to make further fortunes. Mick, from your perspective, by the way, uh, folks, that was a joke. Anyway, I eventually started getting a lot of work from uh, Dublin City Council. Fell foul of them. Uh, in 2003, 2002, um, when um, I put up the banner No to War, No to Nice, No to American Terrorism on a building. Mick Wallace had been trying to explore alternatives to bankruptcy, but he ran out of options. His lawyers told the High Court they couldn't put up any further resistance to the petition for bankruptcy brought by a subsidiary of US fund Cerberus. Have I considered resigning and running in a by-election? Yes, I have. Have I considered resigning and walking away from politics for good? I certainly have. But I've never been very good at quitting. From TD to MEP, the T-shirt-wearing, long-haired Wexford man has never shied from his beliefs, however unpopular or unconventional. As other deputies have mentioned, your argument, Minister, that you don't have an elected mandate to challenge the Eighth Amendment is harsh yet. And in particular, to the Europeans' attitude, do you not agree that the recognition of Guaido is an absolute embarrassment to anyone that has to occupy this chamber? And it's a disgrace on, on the part of the member states of Europe that so many of them have, have, have recognised unelected gobshite. And now he's causing confusion again, this time over his financial interests. I have three wine bars in Dublin and I sell only Italian wine and I import all the produce from Italy. I'm Siobhan McGuire and on today's episode I'm joined by Irish independent political correspondent John Downing to look at the life and times of Mick Wallace and indeed what political aspirations may lie beyond Brussels. John, let's start with what's going on this week. Why is Mick Wallace back in the news? Well, it's been a while, but a strange one, really. There, there is this ongoing row between Italy and uh, the, the Irish health authorities' efforts to label wine as uh, 
carcinogenic, which the Italians have taken grave exception to. A particular Italian MEP, Alessandro Panza, um, posted a video with Mick Wallace on TikTok uh, saying that uh, basically Mick Wallace described himself as somebody who uh, owned a, a number of, of uh, wine bars in Ireland, imported Italian artisanal wine, found that uh, soft drinks were far more likely to be carcinogenic than good Italian wine and so on. I agree with uh, putting uh, the label on the wine, uh, saying that wine uh, causes you cancer. Uh, I mean, we should start with Coca-Cola and all the other uh, soft drinks that are pure poison. It raised strange questions because we know Mick Wallace did own a number of wine bars, but he was declared bankrupt in 2016. And... Um, uh, he, we we understood that he ceased to own them th- thereafter, and he he was at one stage also owned a vineyard in uh, the north of Italy, but we we were told that he sold that to his brother to help defray some of the debts around the time of his bankruptcy in 2016. These do not occur in his register of interests, have not for some time, as he would be obliged to do as a politician. Accounts filed with the company registration office show that Mr. Wallace is not a director nor a shareholder in the holding company behind his original wine business. So, all rather strange, uh, seems to con- so a deal of confusion. Mr. Wallace hasn't uh, hasn't uh, commented on the issue since these things appeared. And that's the thing, John, we would uh, tend to associate Mick Wallace here in Ireland with the Italian quarter in Dublin, because that was an area he did, in fact, invest in and build up and, uh, you know, became synonymous with Italian restaurants and good wine. Yes, absolutely. And we we know Mick, Mick Wallace basically kind of fell in love with Italy. Italian football, Italian food, Italian wine, uh, around the time of Italia 90, way back in 1990, started going there then, uh, is obsessed with football, is a fanatical fan of Juventus based in Turin. At least at one stage, he had bought a flat in Turin, very close to the Juventus ground. So, um, yes, he, he has for a very long time been associated with things Italian. He has always been very laudatory of Italy, Italians, uh, particularly wine, food and football. Now, Mick Wallace, uh, before the political sphere, had a very interesting career and indeed personal life. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, Mick Wallace comes from a place called Wellington Bridge in South Wexford. The amazing thing about Wellington Bridge is when you go through it, uh, the name Wallace is on every second door. Now, it goes back to his father and his uncle, who were in business together going way back to the 40s and 50s. Among other things, they had builders, builders, providers, various shops, garages, and uh, very, very enterprising people. The two brothers later quarreled, as frequently happens in family businesses. But uh, Mick got the, the sort of building gene, the entrepreneurial gene from that milieu. And uh, eventually he did uh, a BA in uh, UCD and he went teaching for a while. But he decided teaching wasn't really for him. 
and he he moved back into the building game. Park the political views uh, to one side for the moment. He was one of 12 children in a family that sounds extremely hardworking. As you say, business, running a business ran in the blood. Um, Mick, uh, as a young fella, went off and travelled, uh, saw a lot of, of South America, uh, had a lot of his views uh, very, very keenly um, pressed upon over there and shaped. Uh, came back, studied uh, um, you know, could become a teacher, realised there was more money in building, went into building and then, as you say, had the few contracts with Dublin City Council, was doing pretty, pretty well for himself. But then there was that banner issue. Tell me all about that and how we ah, came to this know. Is, <laughs> this, this, is when, this is when the entity known as Mick Wallace really came uh, into most people's ken, so to speak. By the way, he obviously, he looks kind of like a, an aging rock star, very, very unconventionally dressed, uh, sort of grey blonde uh, hair uh, with, with a complete mind of its own going in all directions, frequently in a yellow T-shirt. Uh, it says when he, when he got into the building game, uh, another, an older, wiser builder told him, uh, go to a tailor, buy a suit, go to a barber, get your hair cut, then join Fianna Foyle. He did Three pieces of advice he very definitely did not take. So, uh, 2000, October 2002, the government were trying to rerun the EU Nice referendum, which they had, Treaty of Nice referendum, which they had botched in uh, the, the previous summer of 2001. And uh, on the keys, on the, this large building site, which uh, Mick Wallace is developing, uh, there appear three, three banners, no to war, no to Nice, and uh, no to American terrorism. The city council took him to law about the whole thing, about whether or not these posters were justifiable or legal or within the law. Uh, it turns out he won his case. Um, so there he was uh, going to law with the crowd who basically, Dublin City Council, who basically gave him uh, shed loads of work in in and around that time and a good deal earlier. Mind you, a lot of people were keen to unearth the, the simple fact that uh, he goes no to American terrorism, but he was, however, paid by the U.S. Embassy in Dublin for a paving job uh, at the, the, the embassy in Balls Bridge, albeit commissioned by Dublin City Council, but work funded by the American Embassy. So all of these dichotomies, uh, the, the maverick, perhaps at times also um, victim of his own propaganda. There is that um, growing interest in Mick Wallace during that time because he was being rolled out on various um, talk shows, you know, political talk shows. I'm thinking of, of Vincent Brown's show on TV3 at the time. Mick Wallace was a regular guest. Um, you know, he was there as a property developer and people were really lapping up his views, weren't they? Yes, he was the, the maverick inside. He, while he was uh, a very accomplished builder, he described the Construction Industry Federation, the builder's umbrella body, as a glorified uh, golf club. But he did play the media game. He told, he told good stories on, on radio and television, and uh, he was 
extraordinarily hard to ignore. I think around that period, more and more members of the general public were very aware who Mick Wallace was. They were because he'd give you an old giggle on the telly, John. That that was at the heart of it, you know. You had somebody calling Certainly, out politicians yeah. as the rest yes. of us were probably screaming at the telly anyway. And then you had Mick indeed announcing his decision to go into politics on, on that uh, Vincent Brown TV show as well. I, I'm, ne- I'm never th- going to be living in Wexford. What do you think? Uh, believe it or not, I've decided to run. Well, yeah. Is this an announcement tonight? Uh, yeah, I've been mulling over for a um, oh, few months. So, um, what constituency, Mick? Uh, Wexford. Absolutely, uh, taking some people by surprise. This was the the February 2011 general election. Now he was again a, a very unlikely politician on one level. Uh, he was 56, going on 57. Uh, he made no secret of the fact that he's, uh, by then, his building companies owned a number of banks in and around 40 million euro at the time of the election. It was a well-known fact that he had difficulties with the taxman uh, and uh, other matters. But he was maverick. He was uh, some something really quite different. Uh, his involvement in football is quite interesting, uh, really, Siobhan, because um, he he coached consistently. He coached uh, underage level in Wexford. He set up a club called Wexford Youths, and they were eventually admitted into the Football Association of Ireland. So that gave him a lot of local cred in Wexford, in and around Wexford. On the day in February 2011, he got. Uh, 13,000 first preference votes, uh, very, very, very big vote. Paul Topper uh, in on the first count, well ahead of the quota. Let's talk about some of the controversies um, uh, as a TD then, John. So there's a lot of things going on for Mick uh, as an independent candidate. Uh, First of all, there's uh, Shannon. And then we have the issue with Alan Shatter. And then we have um, Mick Wallace himself, um, you know, facing up to his bankruptcy and his money problems. I want to apologise to people all over Ireland predicted those who have supported and continue to support me. And no matter what happens, I will not forget them. Have I considered resigning and running in a by-election? Yes, I have. Have I considered resigning and walking away from politics for good? I certainly have. But I have never been very good at quitting. Yes, absolutely. Um, the there were an, a number of, of controversies, really. I mean, fairly early on, for example, he was overheard on microphone describing uh, one, one, a, a government TD as Miss Piggy. And he had to apologize for that. It was kind of in, he didn't realize the microphone was live when he was having a chat with some of his own uh, colleagues. So, and, that didn't look great. Then there was uh, uh, some some of the other things he got into. Uh, he went on radio and said that he uh, he had uh, hired a hitman to get money that he was owed owed by a fellow builder. The, the anecdote was that he um, he was left twenty thousand short by a a, a a builder who was 
he said, known for such short payments. And instead of sort of going the legal route, he planted a story with somebody he knew would relay it back to the person concerned that he was in conversation with a hitman and that he was going to get his money one way or the other. And lo and behold, he got a phone call from the uh, from the builder who owed him and said, can't we talk about this and sort it out? And lo, it was so. Of course, he insisted. He really, it was the threat of a hitman that he never really would do it. But it's, it is kind of, again, you know, questionable behavior for a, a member of uh, Doyle Aaron, a, a lawmaker himself. Then there, there was um, another controversy where um, the then Minister for Justice, Alan Shatter, said uh, on national television that Mick Wallace had been uh, uh, cautioned by Gardaí for using a mobile phone while driving. And if Deputy Wallace has any claims he wants to make, now he can produce the evidence to the Joint Oireachtas Justice Committee. Will you do that, that Mick? He can give evidence uh, to that can committee. I speak? Yeah. Will you do that? We have to wrap up here, Mick. Will you do that? Will you go to the Joint Oireachtas Committee and, and, and make all your points? I, I, I'll be, uh, it would be my pleasure to actually uh, outline how the two whistleblowers have been treated, the way they were threatened, and I have evidence you're, you're of how they were threatened. The well, topic. please do and that I mean, under the privilege of the committee. Yes. I'm not, not here tonight. A sort of low-grade tittle-tattle, in a way. Uh, it later emerged that the Minister for Justice had been told this by none other than the then Garda Commissioner. So it uh, that it didn't particularly reflect well on 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 the either the senior guard, the, or the, the ministry. And um, he took a complaint uh, under, under uh, GDPR, under privacy legislation, and his right not to have his, his uh, private matters uh, bandied about in, in public media just like that. Um, there were... There were Several other things, of course. You, you you mentioned the bankruptcy. He was uh, eventually declared um, declared bankrupt uh, in in um, 2016 with uh, reported debts to various banks uh, of some 30 million euros. Prior to that, he actually had to make a settlement with uh, with revenue for unpaid VAT, which uh, dated back to uh, two th- 2008. Uh, in, in that situation, he, he, um, he said basically that he had always paid his taxes, he had always made money, then came the crash in 2008, and he fell behind with VAT. And, uh, but he, he had to make a seven-figure sum settlement with revenue. On another occasion, he was in court uh, for failing to pay pension uh, uh, contributions, to remit pension contributions for his building workers. He was fined a sum of money for that. He was fined 7,000. And the court, uh, this was in uh, uh, soon again after his election, elected in February 2011. This happened in December 2011. He was fined 7,000. But he he paid the arrears uh, a matter of tens of thousands, he, he said, and he acknowledged that it was a very serious business not to pay a pension. 
and uh, entitlements for workers. He had variously employed in, in at at the height of his uh, building powers in excess of of a of hundred people. Let us be remembered. So, John, there he is in the Doyle, a leftist. How does he get on with the others? Well, he lands and and uh, in uh, fe- February 2011, and uh, he makes common cause with a number of uh, of deputies that you could. He, firstly, there's a, they, they form a technical group. It goes on a bit, but eventually, the the left-leaning, similar-minded people form a group called Independence for Change. That's with the, the digit four in the in the title. Um, Claire Daly, who was originally a socialist TD and, uh, and a colleague of Joe Higgins, was among those who joined, and there were some others. But it actually, while they made common cause on, on a lot of issues, they, this group could not stay together. They, they divided and separated relatively quickly, I think reminding us that in, in a lot of uh, dissident and left-wing political organisations, truly, as Brendan Behan said, truly the first item on the agenda is the split. But he and Claire Daly were identified on, on a, a, a lot of campaigns together. You, you mentioned Shannon protest at the US use of Shannon. The two TDs were arrested shortly before lunchtime on the tarmac at Shannon Airport when they were about 100 metres from one of two US military aircraft parked there, a Hercules C-130 cargo plane and a modified Boeing 737 aircraft. They say they got over the perimeter fence and wanted to inspect the aircraft to see if they were carrying weapons. The Garda whistleblower scandal was an, uh, another thing and they which went all the way on to the charge and tribunal uh, and so on. And uh, they are now both in the European Parliament, in the same political grouping, she representing uh, the Dublin area, he representing Ireland South. Um, They have always, and the, the political opponents feel, well, if you hit one, you've hit both of them because they instantly come to each other's defense. There is an assumption in political circles that they have a a personal relationship, but there is equally an assumption in political circles that whether they have or they haven't, life goes on and it's their own business. And then there follows a path to Europe. Why did Mick Wallace decide to run for the European Parliament? Well, I suppose he would argue he has always been quite... uh, outward looking in his view of life he always expressed strong views on foreign policy issues even in in even at Leinster House he has caused quite a controversial figure over there john do you not agree that the recognition of guaido is an absolute embarrassment to anyone that has to occupy this chamber. And it's a disgrace on, on the part of the member states of Europe that so many of them have, have, have recognized unelected God. You always said that we were entitled to our opinion. Today, you're denying me my opinion. Um, the major thing that that he that he is remembered for, or that 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 uh, garnered most most headlines, was uh, taking a rather dissident view of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, very equivocal and selective critics would say very equivocal and selective of his condemnation of Russia and the Russian invasion. 
And he uh, was one of 13 um, who stood out and didn't wholeheartedly commit to endorsing support for Ukraine after the invasion on, on February 24th last year. And uh, he said it was important also to be critical of NATO, to be critical of the USA. The responsibility for opening hostilities is solely with President Putin. But we do not withdraw our long-standing criticism of NATO's brinksmanship and recklessness of Western policy on Ukraine. Both Russia and the West bear responsibility for creating conditions of instability and confrontation in Ukraine. He has been criticised for supporting questionable regimes in Venezuela, in Ecuador. He has questioned uh, criticisms of China, and he has more recently got himself into a whole lot of hot water for, of all things, defending the Iranian regime uh, in their uh, suppression of uh, women uh, rights, uh, people pursuing women's rights, and the, the brutal repression of that. He says, well, uh, Iran is is the subject of very unfair criticism, and they have a story to tell too. There are a lot of questions over um, his his so called um, stance on on China and Russia, as you point out. His popularity there is on the up, however. I mean, you you look to his fan base in China, where he's referred to as Golden Lion King. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a dubious bargain, though. You you would wonder. Um, there is uh, a huge sort of dichotomy at the European Parliament. The the MEPs are very worried about uh, certain dissident MEPs giving credibility to regimes which have serious questions to answer about the rule of law, about respect for human rights. And uh, their conduct of their their motivation in in certain policy foreign policy initiatives, but they they're trying to codify it, and they're still up against the difficulty that if a prominent MEP member of the European Parliament gives uh, credence to a regime which is uh, at very best dubious, then they're. they're there must be consequences for that. So he is uh, surely uh, feted in certain uh, countries, but he is the source of a lot of conflict in within the European Parliament, including within his own group, which is a hard left uh, uh, GUE alliance. It's, it's basically uh, radical left, former communist, uh, socialist and uh, Eurosceptic people. So what is the end game then, do you think, for, for Mick Wallace? Well, it's hard to know. Uh, it will be a difficult election for him and and for certain of the other dissident colleagues. As I said, the, the novelty factor tends to wear off. off. The uh, election process is very difficult and very expensive. He'll be, he'll be nudging 70 next time out. You know, these are all decisions he has to make. And my thanks to Irish independent political correspondent John Downing for joining me today. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by myself, researched by Tabitha Monahan with sound by Kean Sinnott. Archive clips from RTE, Euronews, TV3, VMTV, Wexford Today, Oireachtas TV, TikTok and Independent 
adultdaily.ie. If you enjoy the Adult Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.